0: Head cut off a suit. Oh he's fine. That's the top of the dude. Make sure you speak real loud it's for the deer can
1: you. Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Uh I was blessed this past month to to attend Camp Mariah. Wasn't planned, but really happy I went. And uh the theme this year was Psalm 34. And uh being in Brother Timothy's class, we we spent a good bit of time talking on the the back story, what, what, led, what led David to, to write this psalm, and so uh, he, was, he was running from Saul, he was afraid, and uh, in, his, in his fear, I mean, as, as lots of us do, he reacted rashly, he, he lied, and he made a, made, made a stupid decision, he, he, he ran to Gath, and uh, depended on himself rather than looking to the Lord. And that got him in a lot of trouble. And and it wasn't till until he was at the point of of near near death that, that he turned to the Lord and, and the Lord delivered him. And that prompted him to to write that this song. And uh, in our Bible study we we all pointed out and, and everybody noticed how how uh, how foolish and how how idiotic David was in his in his actions. But uh, really, I mean, I see it the same in, in my life. Uh, each day I wake up, and uh, first thing I do before, before reading the Word, before praying, is I start worrying about what's, what's going to happen, happen this day and, and how I'm going fix, to fix this, that, and the other, and worry about the state of our country. And just, just so many things when we should be turning to God, we look to ourselves. Jeremiah 17 uh, draws a comparison between between those who trust in themselves and and those who are trusted in God. It starts in verse 5. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arms, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in in a salt land, and not inhabited." talks about a man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arms someone who whose strength is is simply in what he can muster with his own own uh, own flesh Uh, but then verse 7 says blessed is the man that trusteth in the lord and whose hope the lord is for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat cometh but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So this draws a pretty stark comparison. Someone who trusts in themselves, when the heat cometh, they're going to wither up. They're, because, because they have no strength. Mm. But the man who trusts in the Lord, it says, is like a tree planted by the water. Where does it draw its strength? From the water. That same picture is used in Psalm 1. Where uh, David says... Er, but he's talking about the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of the sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful it says but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper what is what is the water? Uh surely, as I understand it it's Saying trusting in the Lord is, is delighting in His Word. And uh, so first, first trusting God, we must come come to a place where where we understand that, that we're nothing without Him. We, we're like the heath. If we have no water, we cannot survive. Uh, he's the vine and we're the branches. And we have to come to Him... Uh, incomplete dependence and and then we have to uh, spend time in his word and, and be in his word be in the water because how can we trust someone we know nothing about uh, and uh, when you recognize our own inability we're forced to turn, turn to him for our strength. And so when we're faced with, with everyday, everyday trials or, or uncertain times in our country, though times are changing, he doesn't change. Though we're weak and, and, and we seem helpless against, against the situations in, in our world today, he is, as Isaiah said, he's is, he's everlasting strength. And uh, when it seems like everything's out of control and everything's spiraling downhill, and we feel like like we can't do anything about it, and 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 everything is lost. We have to recognize that 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 He already won, and we won with Him. Amen. And uh, trust in the Lord who who worketh all things according to the counsel of His will. Amen. Thank you,
0: brother. God bless you. do well to just say amen to that Uh, that is the lesson that we all say we understand but we all need to remember and learn continually to trust in the Lord at all times and to recognize uh, that is it is he who is working and it's uh, he that no man can stop or hinder Uh, I'm so thankful to to be here this morning and uh, to see each of you I've missed you all greatly and uh, you know, when, whenever we call a place home, a piece of our heart remains there forever. And a large part of my heart has remained here with you and has rejoiced to see the Lord's working here at Fairhaven Church. And I'm so thankful for Brother Jonathan and his family and their presence here. And um, I, I I like the changes. I feel surrounded this morning with a new pew <laughs> layout. That's, that's not a bad thing. Uh, he found a way to get people to move forward from the back row, just eliminate the back rows. Uh, we look to the Lord's word, uh, continue to look to his word this morning. I want to begin in the book of Colossians in chapter 3. A statement is made by the apostle here as he addresses the importance of godly living in the lives of, of the members of the congregation, the church there at Colossae. He admonishes them to Put away the things of the flesh, and to put on the new man in verse ten, uh, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created him. To put away the divisions, the schisms among them between Greeks and Jews, barbarian and Scythian, bond and free. He says, Christ is all and in all. As the elect of God, he admonishes them, put on holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. In verse 13, he says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness or completeness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And then verse 16 is our text this morning. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. A lot of times we look at this verse as the the key text for supporting the song service and the way that we participate in congregational singing. I think we've shared that lesson together before from this verse, but I want to notice the first phrase in the verse, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. This is a key to living this Christian life. It's the key to putting away the fleshly lusts and desires. It's the key to finding holiness, to finding Christ in in times of distress. Uh, William mentioned earlier that trusting in the Lord is, is about trusting His Word. It's about knowing His Word. And here the Apostle says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And this gives the idea of the Word living in you more than just words on paper or words that are memorized and forgotten, or words that are taught as part of a Bible study or a lesson. The Word of God is alive in you. Let the Word of God live in you richly. And brothers and sisters, that's what we need if we together are going to magnify Jesus Christ in our lives and in our bodies in this world. William talked this morning about the the struggle, the temptation, the challenges that we face. And like David, our tendency is to go to our own minds, get in our own heads, and there find solutions that are never actual solutions. Mm -hmm. For David, it was, well, let me run to the house of my enemies. Surely the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And if if King Saul has declared himself my enemy, then the Gathites, they will love me because they hate Saul. And it didn't occur to him when he was thinking this way that he was carrying the sword of Goliath, the Gathite, that he had killed. And he goes into the camp, and there they seek his life. So then does he turn to the Lord? No. What does he do? He begins to pretend that he's crazy. He starts slobbering all over himself, speaking crazy uh, speech and writing crazy things on the ground in the walls of the city, and, and yes, he's delivered. But in all of this, he fails to look to the Lord who should be his first resort in time of fear. Well, before we laugh too much at David, we have to look at our own experience in our own lives. You all know me. You know that I'm the king of trying to figure things out, (laughs) trying to work through things, figure out what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the day after. Well, the Word of God gives us some instruction for that. He says, take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. What do we do? We look to the Lord today because in the Lord we'll find peace and the Lord will find strength and the Lord will find grace to help in time of need. The word of Christ dwell in you richly. Brothers and sisters, we need the word of God. We need it to live in us and we need to direct our actions, our thoughts, and our course of everyday life. And we find that out when we face challenges, when things don't go the way we expect them to, when things seem to be spinning out of control. And that's just about every day for me, and I'm sure it is for most of you. The Apostle Paul loved the Word of God. He loved it so much that though he was one of the most successful ministers probably ever preaching the gospel he found himself in prison in Rome, and he wrote to Timothy, his his uh, his student, his protege, the gospel minister that was still out preaching. And he said, "Bring me my books and bring me the Word of God, especially the Word of God." But as Paul went preaching, it was the Word of God that was the center of his message, and it was the center of the lives of those who were touched by his preaching. In the Philippian letter, chapter two. We read in verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? Because verse 13 says, it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's at work in you. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Well, that sounds like us, right? A crooked and perverse generation. Brother Don, this morning in his prayer, observed that this nation seems to be going down fast. And he's not wrong. And along the way, there's some speed bumps. We see some little signs of hope. Last week, our Supreme Court made a decision that was unexpected by anybody that was projecting such things. And it gives a little ray of hope. Maybe there's some hope. But it's not a solution, it's not an answer to the corruption that exists in this world. We live in a world that is perverse, that is sinful, because it's full of sinners. Mm -hmm. So you shine as lights. Well, how do you do that? Look at verse 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I preached the Word to you. I preach Jesus Christ to you, and Jesus Christ is alive in you. And you live in a crooked and a perverse generation, but the Word of life shines forth from you. You shine as lights in the midst of this world. We've talked a lot together over the years about what it is to have purpose in life. What is our purpose? Well, it's to shine forth Jesus Christ to a world that doesn't know Him. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 in His Sermon on the Mount said what? You are the light of the world. You are lights in the world. You are the salt of the earth. But if the light doesn't shine, if it's under a bushel, if the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing. But to be cast out in the street and trodden under the feet of men... He writes to the Philippians and he says, you are holding forth the word of life. You're holding forth the word. How are you doing that? Well, only if the word dwells in you. If the word dwells in you. The word's alive in you. What do we need to be doing? How can we have this effect in our lives? We can do it by reading the word. We can do it by applying the word. We can do it by meditating on the word day in and day out. Every situation of life The Word has the answer for. The same author writes to Timothy and he says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And he says, The Word of God is a thorough furnisher to every good work. Whatever the decision, whatever the question, the answer is to be found in the Word of God. And in the Word of God, we'll not only find an answer, but we'll find a correct answer. The world's full of answers Mm -hmm. there's plenty of people willing to advise you on every decision you have to make you have family members you have friends you have counselors everybody's got an answer but we need the right answer and where's the right answer well it's going to be found in the word of god how do you know if you should listen to counsel well is that counsel coming from the word of god If you talk to Brother Jonathan and seek his advice, his guidance, his counsel on an issue, how do you know if you can trust him? Well, not just because he's your pastor and he loves you, but because it's rooted in the Word of God. When you go to your wife or your husband, when you go to your friend or your neighbor, your mom or your dad, and you ask their advice, how do you know you can trust them? Are they speaking from the Word of God? Is God's Word the light that you're looking to? And those best counselors are the ones who don't give you answers. They give you direction. They point you to the Word of God. Because the Word of God, it's a thorough furnisher. So Paul writes to the Colossians and he says, Let the Word of God, let the Word dwell in you richly. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God is rich. It's sufficient because God is all-sufficient. And, you know, I don't just tell you this as a fact from God's Word, though it says it. I tell it to you from experience. And it's a shared experience. You know, we've all faced trials. We've faced them together. We've faced them apart. Difficult times come in life. And as much as we may try to do the right thing, we always mess up. We're always going to make a mistake. But the Word of God, it provides the answer. And the harder things get, the more we should bury ourselves in his word. We should bury our heads in the book. We should read the word and we should seek the Lord's direction as we read. His guidance, his understanding. We're going to find more about God in times of distress than we ever imagined. We're going to find that he truly is sovereign. He's truly in control. The Lord truly is directing events in the lives of men. And however messed up our world seems to be, God's in control and God's directing. And God is able to receive glory. You know, a simple understanding of the history of the world as it's laid out in the Bible should tell us this. God created a world that was absolutely perfect. And He created man who was without sin. And He placed him in a beautiful place, a garden that was without sin. He gave him a bride without sin. And he prepared them perfectly to live and tend and care for that garden. And there in the midst of the garden was placed a tree. The one command, don't eat of that tree. And certainly they were without sin, but they saw that tree and Satan, the great enemy, the great deceiver came and said, you know what you need? You need to partake of that tree. Because if you eat of that fruit, you'll be as gods. You'll know good and evil. You know, there are things that entice us. There are sins that tempt us. And we always end up making mistakes. Well, for Adam, it was a big mistake. And what was the enticement? You'll be like God's knowing good and evil. Well, you know, the problem is Adam didn't need to know evil. Knowing evil, that's a bad way to go. That's something we need to get rid of. But, but Adam was enticed. You'll be better than you are. You'll be as God's. And he and Eve, they fell and they partook of the fruit. And God allowed that to happen. God didn't intervene. He didn't stop it. But God is in control. God knows what's best. So fast forward to your life here now today. Temptation arises. It's before you every day. You make the wrong choice. You do the wrong thing. What now? Can God be glorified in your sin? The answer is yes. How? When you repent of that sin. When you confess that sin. When you go to God with that sin and you go to His Word trusting Him. How does the Word have an answer for that? Well, it says if you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Righteousness is attainable. How? Through Jesus Christ. That's the answer the gospel gives. The Old Testament scripture is replete with those who have dealt with hardships, with trouble. What about Joseph? Do you know Joseph is one of the few people, maybe two people in the Bible, of whom there is nothing negative spoken? Joseph lived his life and it doesn't seem like he did anything wrong. He was a human. We know he did things wrong. But the Bible doesn't tell us about any wrong that he did. Joseph was an admirable man, a man who was good, a man who was righteous, a man who served his parents, a man who loved his brothers. And Joseph found himself cast down into a pit with his brothers talking about how they were going to go about murdering him. And then, by God's grace, by God's mercy, he was delivered out of that pit. He was raised up and sold into slavery. Boy, things were looking up for him, right? (laughs) And then he goes to Egypt, and there he's a slave, and he's the best slave he can possibly be. Why? Because he's serving God as a slave. And he's raised up from slavery. He's made the master of his Lord's house. He has authority. He has power. He has respect. He has everything of his master's in his hand except for his master's wife. But she's not happy with that. She wants him to have that as well. And Joseph, he resists the temptation. He flees afraid to being a prisoner with no hope of release ever. So years go by while he moulders in this prison. He's the best prisoner he can possibly be. He serves the prison keeper. He serves the other prisoners. He reveals to them the meanings of their dreams. He gets a name for being a wise man stuck down in this prison. And then one day Pharaoh has a, a terrible dream. And no one can give him the answer to what that dream means. And one of the former prisoners says, well, I knew a man in jail who had a special relationship with God and he had an ability to understand dreams that nobody else could figure out. Pharaoh calls for Joseph. He's raised up to the throne of Egypt. Joseph goes through all of this experience and all of these negative things, yet in all of this he trusts the Lord and he serves God. and He's raised up to be the master of all of Egypt subservient only to the king himself. Then his brothers come. They come seeking food in a time of famine, and Joseph has the immediate answer to their need. And As they come before him the second time, and he reveals himself to them, I'm your brother who you thought about killing and you sold into slavery. I'm Joseph. They're disbelieving, they're in awe, and then fear falls upon them. If they were in Joseph's position, they know what they would do. And Joseph does what? He forgives them. He forgives them the same way we're to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, so we ought to forgive one another. Joseph, not even having the fulfillment of the promised seed before him, recognizes the mercy of God and he forgives. What does Joseph say about it? He says, you meant it for evil. He doesn't in any way try to justify their actions. What they did was wrong. He says, you meant it for evil, but God God meant it for good. God meant it to save your house, to save many people alive. Why do I bring Joseph into this story? Joseph is a man in whom the word of God dwelt richly. Joseph lived his life and faced his challenges and he did it all trusting God. And he did it without knowing all that we know about God. He did it trusting that the God of his fathers would not forsake him. So the New Testament scripture tells us what? Tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. This morning during prayer time, the question was asked, what are you thankful for? Sister Larissa started off the discussion by saying, I'm thankful for everything. Well, that's a biblical response. What does he say? In everything, in everything, give thanks. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a challenge, right? Everything you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. How many things did you do this week, Sister Marty, that you couldn't do in the name of the Lord Jesus? Probably more than a few. Me too. But what's the admonition of God's word? Do all in the name of the Lord. Whatever you do. How are we going to do that? By having the word of God dwell in us richly. Look to apply the word of God to your every thought, to your every deed, to your every act. Why is it important that it dwell in you? You say, I've got a Bible. I can look it up. I've got my Bible here on my phone. I've even got a concordance. I can type in a keyword. I face a challenge, I type in a word, I'll get a scripture for it, right? No, not necessarily. The reality is when I need the word of God most, I'm probably not in the mood to look at my Bible. I'm probably not going to flee to my electronic device to find what God's word says. I'm worrying about the problem. I'm worrying about the solution, I'm trying to rack my brain to come up with a way to get out of this situation. A way just to survive. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I need the Word to spring to my mind. When I'm racking my brain seeking a solution, the Word of God needs to be there providing the answer. Maybe the answer is simply trust. Trust in the Lord. Quit worrying we're not called to live our lives in worry and in fear we're called to trust to trust God with all things Jesus Christ gives us perhaps the greatest example of the word of God the written word of God dwelling in us richly Jesus was a man. He condescended, he stooped down from heaven, took upon himself human flesh. We can't understand this union of divine and human. But he was all God, he was all man. And he was tempted, we're told, in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. 90% of the sin that I commit in my life comes right here from me a lot of times I like to blame Satan and Satan's alive and well and Satan's active Satan has his devices and he tempts and he troubles and he's actively warring against Christian men and women he's warring against the Christian home the Christian family he's warring against everything right in this world But sometimes we want to blame some satanic devices and interference when it's just pure indwelling sin. 90% of the times that I fall to temptation, that I commit sin, it comes from right here. But with Jesus Christ, that wasn't the case. He was tempted at all points, like as we are yet without sin, but every temptation came from outside. And... As Matthew begins to give his account of the gospel of Jesus Christ at the outset, chapter four of Matthew's account, we read of Jesus' greatest temptation. And what Jesus was dealing with wasn't anything compared to what you and I face on a daily basis. We have this indwelling sin we war against and occasionally we have the the help of our friends and companions who... Encourage us to do the wrong thing and we fall in bad company. And occasionally we have the work of Satan, maybe even similar to what Eve herself faced in the garden. But Jesus Christ encountered the very person of Satan himself. At a time when Jesus was physically weak, he hadn't eaten, he hadn't drunken. He'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was in a desert and a wilderness, and he was all alone, no friends around. And there we read in verse 3, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. You say, well... Of course, he was the Son of God. He knew he was. He knew he had the power. He could do whatever he wanted to do. Where's the temptation here? He was hungry. He was weak. He was physically exhausted. And he was being challenged by his greatest enemy to prove that he was who he knew he was. What would you do in that circumstance? Probably not what he did. What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't have a scroll or a parchment or a Bible in hand. Jesus said, It is written, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You can't live by bread alone. How much of our lives are focused on on bread, on finances, on money, on living, on what we're going to do tomorrow and the next day. Here Jesus is starving literally. And he says, God's word says, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The devil didn't give up there. It's okay. I don't know if he snapped his fingers, but immediately he took him out of the desert to the holy city, Jerusalem, and there they were on the pinnacle of the temple, looking out and seeing great expanse below. He said, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it's written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan says, I can play at this game too. And remember this, because there are times in your life you're called to let the word of God dwell in you richly and guide your every action, that everything you say and everything you do would be according to the word of the Lord. There are going to be counselors that are going to come to you saying they're coming in the name of God. They're going to say, God's word says. And the assault that Satan has upon the church and the family and the home today is filled with these kinds of counselors and advisors who want to tell you what God really wants and what God's Word says. Pulling out isolated texts out of context and out of meaning and saying, you can be a Christian and you can pursue these false idols. You can be a Christian and you can do these wrong things. Satan says, I can play that game too. I know God's word, and he does. He knows the word better than any of us know it. But his desire and his application is not to magnify God. It's to tear down the people of God. And Satan says, it's written in the word. He'll give his angels charge concerning thee. And Jesus said to him, It's written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Jesus says you're using God's word to entice me to violate a principle of God's word. And that can and does happen. Again, when we look to God's word, we need to look to it in its context. We need to look to it in the way it's presented. We need to look for application that has a purpose of magnifying God. Jesus Christ is here to do his Father's will. He's here to serve. He's here to do what's right. He says, tempting the Lord my God is a violation of his word. The devil doesn't stop there. Again, he taketh him to an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and says to him, All these things will I give to thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. A couple of things to notice here. One is that In these three texts quoted by Jesus, we have the answer to most of the challenges that we face in life. Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out out of the mouth of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And thou shalt worship the Lord thy God the challenges we face in life involve the great sin of pride, the desire to prove who we are, what we're worth, what value we can offer, to be accepted, to be loved, to be needed, or perhaps the desire to test God, to see if He really does love us. In spite of the cross of Christ, how often do we just do things to see if God will bail us out? To see if his love is really true, if his promises are really true. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then how often are we seeking wealth? Are we seeking power? Are we seeking glory? These three verses alone give us the answer to so many challenges, so many temptations. But if the Word of God dwells in us richly, what the Word of God is for us is promises. Promises of what God is doing and of what God will do. An assurance of what God has done. You see, like the Apostle Paul when he was imprisoned there in Rome and no man stood with him, but all men forsook him. He said, but the Lord, he didn't forsake me. So I know whatever happens in the future, he won't forsake me. And the word of God shows us so much of the nature and the character and the power of the Lord our God. And that applies very much to our lives. We have the answers to every challenge, to every problem. But the answer isn't always the answer that we're looking for. You remember when Paul prayed, he had this thorn in the flesh, this hindrance, this problem. He prayed three times, Lord, take this away from me. And the Lord answered. The Lord heard his prayer. And the Lord said, No, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, Therefore, Therefore, because of that, I will glory in my weakness. Why? Because that's where Christ's strength is made known. So how many times in your life, how many times in my life, have we had problems that we wanted a solution for and we knew what solution we wanted? We knew how we wanted it to work out and we crafted this argument how this is the way God's going to be most glorified in this situation. And we prayed to God, Lord, deliver me. And instead of delivering us from the fire, He delivered us through the fire. You see, God's ways, they're higher than our ways. That's another scripture we can go to time and time again. God's ways are higher than our ways. As the heavens are above the earth, so are His ways above our ways, and His thoughts above our thoughts. What arrogance, what pride to think we know what's best when God knows all things. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and acknowledge your weakness, your weakness of understanding of figuring things out and look to God and trust Him, whatever the resolution is. That's the answer. And as we begin to face challenges in life, as we face struggles and hardships and heartaches, Jesus Christ always has the answer and the answer is always found in His word. The Thessalonian church, as Paul writes to them in 1 Thessalonians, he says, "...we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God." That's the introduction. He says, "...then for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance." as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. He says, I'm persuaded of your election. I'm persuaded you belong to God because you received the Word and you received it in much affliction. The Word of God never promises that there will be no affliction. The Word of God never promises we'll live a life without sorrows. But it does promise us that if our trust is in the Lord, we'll live a life without cares. Be careful for nothing, he says. Be careful for nothing. We're not going to be given to worrying. That's the message William brought to us this morning. And as he mentioned, it's one he is learning well because my boy is given to worry. But there's nothing to worry about. Why? Because God's got this. He's got everything in His hand. And we all have to learn that. Paul had to learn that. He said to these people, you receive the Word of God, not in word only, but also in power. For the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly, it has to become more than words on paper. It's not about the Word. It's about what's behind the Word. It's about the Word being the Word of God. It's about the Word being the living Word who's inspired it, who's directed it, and the Holy Spirit who applies the Word, who brings it to our minds. But if we've never read it, where's it going to come from? Is God able? Well, certainly He is. But He's given us the Word with the command to study the Word, to read the Word, to know the Word. Why? as David said, Thy word, O Lord, have I desired more than my necessary food. You received the word. It came in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. If we're going to list the things we have to be thankful for as we were trying to do this morning, give thanks for the word of God and that you've received the word of God. That the word of God is given you in power and in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance, do you believe the Word? There's a lot of people in the world who have read the Word, but only a few who believe the Word. And in that belief, there's assurance. In that belief, there's hope. In that belief, there's power. From you sounded out the Word of the Lord. In places far from you, every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The Word of God points us forward. The Word of God tells us to look beyond our current trials, our current sufferings, our current cares. The Word of God tells us not to worry about tomorrow or the day after that or the day after that. Why? because Jesus Christ is victorious. He's won the victory and whatever happens today or tomorrow, Christ is magnified, He's victorious and that victory that victory is in my life, that victory is in your life, even in troubled times, even in sorrowful times even in the times when we seem to be hopeless. Do you remember Paul and Silas as they were imprisoned in Philippi and they were in the jail and there didn't seem to be a lot of hope? Paul's one card to play, that of being a Roman citizen, that hadn't played out yet. And they were put in prison and they're in stocks and chains and at midnight, what are they doing? They're singing praises to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. What did Paul and Silas do when they were bound hand and foot, chained in a dark and dingy prison, at midnight in pitch black darkness? Well, they started singing, singing praises to God. Would you do that? Would I do that? I don't know. I know one time Jamie Tucker and I were sitting on the side of the road in South Vietnam and had some policemen with scary-looking guns threatening us. and We opened up a global hymn book and started singing songs. <laughs> I don't think it had much effect on the police and I don't know what our, our brethren there in Vietnam thought about us. They probably thought we were crazy. But it certainly bolstered our spirits and made us look to the Lord and praise Him in that difficult time. Well, Paul and Silas, they started singing hymns. They were praising God in this dark moment of affliction. And all of a sudden, the earth began to quake and the chains and shackles broke off of their arms and legs and the rest of the prisoners as well. Their doors opened. They were free to go. And then Paul and Silas did a strange thing. They said, brethren calm down, stay put. Don't break out. The jailer came ready to take his own life because he was sure his life was forfeit because all the prisoners had escaped. Paul and Silas said, calm down, it's okay. We're all here. Nobody has left. And that night, that uh, jailer and his family were converted, were brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Their lives were forever changed. Why? Because the Word of God dwelt in the Paul and Silas richly, in their moment of affliction, they sang songs. They spoke to one another in songs and hymns. In spiritual songs, they sang and made melody in their hearts to the Lord. So we gather together as a church. Why? In large part for that fellowship. To speak to one another, to encourage one another, to lift one another up in the Word of God and to face challenges in our lives, to face struggles in our lives. And again, our resort is to the Word of God. If you need answers for a present challenge, a present struggle, look to God's Word. And in His Word, find peace, find hope, find encouragement. And recognize that He is alive and He is still the same today as He was when Joseph was sitting in prison thousands of years ago. The same God today that delivered Paul and Silas. The same God today that Paul worshipped and praised as he wrote his letter to the Philippians from jail in Rome and said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, desiring to depart and be with God, which is far better, but it's more needful for you that I remain. So what does he say? He says, I'm content. I'm determined, whether by life or death, so that Christ shall be magnified in my body, and that should be our desire." whatever happens to me that Christ would be magnified and I'll guarantee you as Paul was contemplating those thoughts he was thinking it would be a whole lot easier if my life was over today if there's a way Christ could magnify himself right now, right here, this day in me it would be at an end but he says it's more needful for you that I remain whatever we do in word or deed Let us do all in the name of the Lord and let the word of God dwell in us richly. Imbibe his word. Embrace his word and seek his application in our lives and our hearts and be forever changed by it and face the challenges, the difficulties. Sickness, despair, abandonment, distress, Surgery with uncertain outcomes, whatever it might be. Face it knowing that God is on His throne and that your sole purpose in being is that He would be magnified in you. And all of that worry, all of that care, it'll, it'll drift away. That might come back from time to time, but look to His Word. Look to Him. Let His Word dwell in you richly. And then speak to one another. Speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. How many times have you gone to comfort someone who was in distress? Someone who was dying of cancer. Someone who was on their deathbed or in a nursing home unable to get out of bed. You go to comfort them and they turn it around on you. And they speak words that comfort you. They're the ones ministering to you. Why is that? Because the Word of God changes our perspective. The Word of God turns our world upside down. And it enables us to praise God in moments that that seems an alien thing to do. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly and in Him make every act and every word and every deed a deed that you do unto the Lord. Seeking His approval. Seeking His praise. Seeking his glory. And consequently, on those rare occasions when things go right, when things go the way you wish they would, when you're feeling good about life, be careful to give God the praise, to acknowledge him, and to say, Whatever I am, it's what the Lord has made me. As Brother Zach likes to say, for all the good, he gets all the credit. And for all the bad, I get all the blame. But God's sovereign grace preserves, it extols his name, it magnifies him. And let us never forget this. And let us again daily look to his word and look to him for grace to help in our times of need. Thank you for your attention.